Hey Conjugate Chat friends, this is Mike Cunningham from Gill Athletics and I need your help or maybe I need to help you. See, we have a crap ton of rubber bumper plates and other weight room items that we need to clearance. We need to clear them out of our factory. That's right, a crap ton. That's the official measurement. All offers will be considered. Email me at mcunningham at gillathletics.com to see the full list and check out the show notes right here on Conjugate Chats for a link to see the items and my email address. Thanks everybody and stay strong. And welcome back to another episode of the Conjugate Chats. Before going into the episode, I want to thank everyone for tuning in to this episode and uh, taking the time to sit down and just listen in on what we got going on here on the podcast today. Uh, a couple of things before we get going into the episode is uh, I want to do a couple ad reads for our sponsors, starting with the DOYSC, the Department of Young Strength Coaches. This group is designed for young strength coaches wanting to go into the field of strength conditioning, whether that's CSCS prep, GA or internship opportunities, or even live discussions. They are a resource for young coaches to take advantage of. I'll put the link to the Discord in the description of this episode. Also, Team Builder. Team Builder is a software for performance coaches around the world. Their powerhouse platform provides Coaches with the elevated experience when it comes to program development, data tracking, and staying connected with athletes and clients. Team Builder is also full of tools that coaches need, like multiple max training methods, 16 plus reports, evaluation testing, and goal setting to name a few. Coaches also have access to consultations with Team Builder's in-house sports scientists to help manage and analyze data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up with the promo code CONJUGATE to receive a 30-day free trial as well as a 52-week football workout program. Please be sure to sit back, listen in, and enjoy this episode of the Conjugate Chats. Thank you. And welcome back to another episode of the Conjugate Chat. I am your host, John Mark Raspberry, current strength coach. Well, finding a place to land strength coach. Uh, I'm here with Juju Griffith. So, Juju, welcome to the Conjugate Chats, man. Season three. Glad to have you on, man. Glad to be on. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So, before we jump into all the wonderful discussions that we're going to have on this episode... Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Uh, where you come from, where'd you go to school, why'd you go into strength and conditioning, and everything in between. All right, so um, Juju Griffith uh, from Bergenfield, New Jersey. Uh, went to West Point, uh, played football there from uh, 2014 to 2017. Um, much like some of the strength coaches in the world, um, I got cut from football. And I wanted to stick around sports. So I end up being a student assistant strength coach um, for the team from my junior year and my senior year. That's kind of how I got into coaching. Um, went from went from training um, at West Point, uh, left there, um, and I went back to a private sector uh, facility gym that I actually trained at um throughout my high school career uh varsity house in in orangeburg new york 
um, where I also got my feet wet. Um, I was there for three years, went from an assistant to assistant strength coach to the assistant performance director, basically running um, all training from junior high school, high school, college and pros. I uh, was there for three years, left there, um, took a two month hiatus from training to figure out what I really wanted. Um, and then I started my own training business. Um, so I, I, I'd like to clarify this. I own my own training business. I don't own a brick and mortar. There is a difference. Um, I don't own a gym. I own a training business. So um, basically doing the same thing that I have been doing with training junior high school, high school athletes, professional athletes, college, and uh, general population. Um, built an online training business where I train about 25 uh, online training clients around the world now. And, uh, and you know, just have been blessed to get my feet wet with doing NBA draft combine, um, training some NFL players now, training some NBA players now, some players overseas, along with all the other clients that I have. So. That's that's a little bit about me right there. Awesome, man. And, uh, you know, we had a short little discussion before coming and recording this here. And one of the things that I think younger coaches really struggle with is where to get your information from. You know, there's a lot of sources out there, in, especially in today's time, because you got the Internet and then you got multiple accounts on Twitter and Instagram and just heck you know there's a tons of websites and there's a ton of information out there so that's one thing we're really going to hone in on today is filtering your information so give us your professionalism of how to filter in the in the field where it's still ever-changing so it boils down to this so i i use the 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 college classroom example with this right in college classrooms they tell you to read something Find find um, a point of view and then find what the uh, counter argument to that point of view is. Right. And I think that is the one thing that I ever took away from college out of all the papers and everything that I've read. And I think that's the one thing that needs to apply with filtering a lot of the information that goes into that goes into the field of strength and conditioning and performance. I think people can have a stance, but I think what people don't do a very good job of is arguing the opposite side of the stance. So for example, there are people who believe in, in functional range conditioning and FRC, and they'll use that as their, um, their, their, their way of you know improving hip mobility or whatever the case may be. However, nobody looks at the counterpoint that FRC may be too um, fixated on isolated movements or, or isometrics as opposed to actually uh, movement and whatnot. So it's the idea of how do, you fill, how do you research what the methodology or the principles that you think you want to do, research what the counter to it is, and how do you either refute the counter or how do you um, find information or other um, principles and methodologies to help you because all that it is is that it's increasing your toolbox, right? If if you're so fixated on one thing and you're going to position yourself on one ideology, then I hope you're ready to like sell your soul to that ideology and ensuring that everybody's going to be 
um, a better athlete, client, adult, whatever the case may be, off your ideology. But if that's not the case, then you need to increase your toolbox with multiple ideologies and then pick the principles that apply to the person in front of you. Because not everybody that not everybody fits, you know, the ideal mold for mold for for ideologies. That's like trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. And that's not the case. So um, filtering boils down to what are you looking to try to do? What is it? What what ideology did you pick? What's the counter arguments to those ideologies? And then can you do you have the tools in order to combat those idea, those counters to the ideologies in order to best fit the athlete or client. And that's such a great point of seeing the other side or the seeing the other point of view, because there's a lot of times, and I, I'm guilty of this too, where I get to where I'm like, okay, this is what I believe and I believe it wholeheartedly, but I don't see the other side of the fence where I'm like, okay, you're getting it from one point of view and you, that's all you know. You know, if you look at it from the other point of view, you're gaining both knowledge. Maybe this isn't so adequate or, you know, what my athlete needs at this particular time. It's like if you're studying for a test, right? You look at the question, you look at the answer choices, A, B, C, D. It's not so right. much of, right, getting the right answer. It's as understanding why some of the answers are wrong. It and and like the the point to that too is everybody feels that A is always right without understanding that B and D could also B C and D could also be right while A is right too. Like people also fixate themselves in that one box, right? It's the same thing. I tell I I had the running joke on Twitter the other day. Um Mark Hoover had brought up the whole 1RM argument and I watched his video and he made a, he made very good points. And my joke to it was watch in two weeks, we're going to be having the Olympic weightlifting argument in the weight room because that argument circles strength coach Twitter legitimately every two months. And I understand why, because every, every, we get new coaches coming to Twitter all the time. They're they're trying to learn just as I was trying to learn uh, a, a year ago, a year and a half ago. Like, I get it, right? The thing is that is wild to me is when you watch those arguments and you watch the people who are so fixated on powerlifting, who are so fixated on Olympic weightlifting, who are so fit, they're more fixated on the fact that their methodology is right without realizing that it's not the fact that it's right. It's the fact that it's what works for you. That's the big thing is what works for you. People's logistics will dictate their programming. And Pat Basil made that very clear. Your logistics will dictate your programming everywhere, no matter how you look at it. No matter how you look at it. Your logistics are like, well, like you don't got dumbbells. Guess what? You're going to be doing a lot of barbell stuff. You don't got a lot of space. You have to you have to train 60 athletes with only four racks. You're going to figure it out. You better start doing stations because you're going to have to figure it the fuck out at that point. I, I will say this, too. And it's 
funny you say that because I came from a situation to where we have four racks. I think dumbbells from 2015, 15, 20, something like that, all the way down to 100. Uh, we had bands that I bought, and that was pretty much it, and some med balls. And I mean, like, and I mean, not a whole lot of space, man. And what I had originally walking into that place, it's like, okay, we're going to do a bench press with a barbell bent over row. It's like, okay, well, so-and-so, we have all our racks full. Everyone's on the bench. They're all using bars. Where's the space to do barbell bent over rows? And I was like, okay, so throw that out the window. I mean, it's... I think a lot of it too. A lot of coaches have the problem solve on the fly. You have to. Yeah. It's got. You have to critically think on the on the fly too. And with that, it's it's funny that you say that because I think in order to in order to think on the fly, I think you have to have your feet wet, and I think you have to have a lot of. Excuse me. I think you have to have a lot of um, trench work time to understand how to properly regress and progress certain exercises based on, because you I get this all the time. Yo, I train a lot of basketball players. Yo, Jew, my knee is killing me. My knees are killing me, right? I might have barbell reverse lunges program. Hey, we're going to go to split squats, right? Bar's not feeling good. Okay, hey, we're going to go to dumbbell goblet split squats instead today, right? Still getting all that I want. I just had to regress a lot of the stuff. But I wouldn't have never known that had I not had, you know, five years of experience before I went out on my own to do a lot. Of it, right. And that's five years of trench of like legit trench work. Like I probably didn't get my first certification until like. Two years in, honestly, two years in, but. Before anybody says anything, I had been training in a gym since I was eight years old. I'm 27 years old. I've been training for 19 years. I've seen what right looks like. I've seen what wrong looks like. I've done everything under the sun from a training perspective. Olympic weightlifting, done it. Powerlifting, done it. CrossFit, done it. All all that you could think of, I've done, right? I've watched other great coaches program different types of 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 um programming schemes five 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 three 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 uh five three one um ten eight six four like i've done i could humbly say thank god for the coaches that i had to give me like that toolbox of understanding and just doing different types of workouts i've used the pitch chart the Kaisers, everything like that. I've been blessed because I was in a D1 program. And that's kind of, to some people, to, to, to certain people, that's like an expectation, right? You're supposed to have that kind of toolbox in a D1 program, right? Um, but I didn't get my first certification until I left college. But I had years of trench work and years of on the floor just watching. I didn't coach, I watched. I watched and helped put weights away. And those are the most developmental years than I, than I can say even when I started coaching. Because when you watch a lot of it, you get to actually see what right looks like. You get to see what good coaching looks like. You get to see what bad coaching looks like. You get to see 
how to talk to your athletes, which ones you got to yell at, which ones you got to talk to off to the side, which ones that you have to kind of be on, which ones that you kind of could could count on them to lead. You're going to find that everybody's going to have those athletes. Right. So. I think the problem is with 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 the, the field a little bit is that the young coaches are almost rushed into a lot of these situations without having the proper tools. And for some people, that's very good because sometimes you just got to get thrown into the fire and to figure it out. But I think that's what hurts a lot of people because, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that hurts a lot of people because they can't, um, they get entrenched back to the filtering thing. They get entrenched into this one box and they're like tunnel vision in the way that they coach without learning other things at the same time to, 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 to broaden their toolbox. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, there's multiple ways to skin a cat, right? You know, um, some people, I love tri-basic training, man. I do. I, I absolutely adore it. But when I was talking to another coach, he used it to almost like a, um, like a, I'm not going to say peaking, but to ensure like he'll go through a whole linear progression and then try basic where, right. you know, you're putting a high amount of load under, you know, time. And so, you know, a five second, a four second eccentric, you know, you focus on different aspects of the eccentric isometrics and concentrics. So, I, and I use it for quality movement purposes, right? When, when uh, I, ha I get a freshman, you know, walks in day one, you know, I, we're doing triphasic. So you're going to go at 40% of whatever, and we're going to learn how to ensure quality movement, make sure our motor patterns are right, things like that. And also, I want to peel back a little bit, talking about the filtering part that you were talking about. You know, you were doing, you were saying about your basketball players with knee pains and then you're able to regress because you've seen it before and you got the experience and you got the toolbox and all the resources possible, the knowledge to be able to do that. You know, we could also look on Twitter, on social media as well. One of my big, you know, one of my, uh, I'm not going to say, uh, one of my um, people that I admire on Twitter is Brandon Pig and his talks with isometrics and talking about tendon health and everything like that. And he talked about on this podcast as well. And that conversation led to, okay, I gained a little bit of knowledge. Let's try to do some things in our weight room so we can be more robust, so we can cut down on injury rates, so we can actually play the sport. They can play the sport that they want to. And that just comes from filtering you know, information on Twitter. If I believe everything that was on social media, we'd be doing some crazy stuff, man. Yup. Yup. I mean, first of all, Brandon, you're never getting me doing a long ISO on a Jefferson squat. I'm sorry. Like, I'm calling you out. You're not getting me to do that. Anything longer than 30 seconds? Not happening, boss, man. You don't have to fly up to Jersey to make me do that. Um, But... To your point, and I think this goes back to like, I think um, this goes back to people who are respected in the field who have very good filtering processes to also promote other good coaches in the field, right? I think, you know, when you start seeing the same common names of like, these are the coaches that I admire, right? These are the coaches that I look at for 
X this or X that like when like the big thing with like obviously in the in the athlete realm is like, you know, we're we're about performance. Like we're I think we're starting to see a shift a little bit where we're not seeing as much weight room work as we are seeing a little bit more field and conditioning work more so than anything else. So, you know, when you ask who are some of the top speed trainers that you're looking at, right? I'm sorry, if you're not seeing Mo Wells, Roy Holmes, Stu McMillan, Dan Path in those conversations, then, you know, might want to reevaluate that list a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's 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 who do you look at for 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 building athlete performance? In my in my experience, if you're not seeing, you know, Tim Karen, Alan Bishop, um, some of the some of those other guys, like if you're not seeing those in your list, like again, reevaluate the list, right? Because seeing those guys and seeing them filter as to who they look to and seeing the results that they've put out. I mean, you're talking about, you know, I'm biased, but Tim Karen was my coach in college. Man has 20 years in the in the in the field, right? You know, Boyle is like the the grandfather of of like SNC. He's like the godfather of SNC right now. Like, I think he's like the oldest SNC strength coach. No offense, Mike, right? But it's like, you know, even them, you still have to take them with a grain of salt to a certain extent because they may have views that differ from other ways, right? There's a lot of things that Mike puts out. There's a lot of that's that's good that I agree with. And there's a lot of things that I don't agree with. Same thing with Tim. Same thing with Alan. There's there's things that you're going to disagree with. But that's the whole point. You're not supposed to 100 percent agree with the people that you look at. Again, you filter out what are the things that you want? What are the things that you need? What are the things that are going to work? And what are the things that are not going to work? And then with the things that are not going to work, who can fill in? to move those things that's not going to work into the things that's going to work. Yeah, man. And I want to talk about that piece as well, because I, I look, I look up to Mike Boyle because he's put out great stuff over the years. And he's of course, what, like kind of how you put it, the godfather of strength coaches right now. But I mean, just because like someone has an opposing view or someone does something a little bit more different. It's just different, man. It's not because they're wrong. It's not because of anything else. It's just they do something different. And just because they do something different does not make them a bad person. Now, I talked about this with Kendall, too. Because, you know, we get on social media and we see someone doing uh, something, that, you know, outside of our own expertise, outside of our own knowledge. Instead of, you know, saying, well, Coach you're dumb and your wife's dumb and your kids are dumb, you know, on social media for everyone out to see, right? Because this is not even a private, this is for everyone to see on social media. Maybe take the time and the opportunity to reach out privately instead of putting it on, you know, full blast on, you know, public and reach out pub or privately. It's like, hey, I don't understand this. And maybe that's a little bit of prideful things. And I had to deal with it too. You know, I didn't understand everything in training conditioning, and I still don't, and no one does. But, you know, taking that opportunity to learn more and taking the opportunity to broaden your horizons in this field. It goes back to the point that you said there's a lot of ego in the field. Like, there's, 
there's more ego in the field than you would think, right? And I see, I personally, I see the ego a lot in the private sector. Um, it's a conversation that I had with one of my athletes, and we went back and forth for two weeks. We went back and forth for two weeks on this conversation. And he said that, you know, um, his point was that coaching should be collaborative, right? And it should be. Coaching should be collaborative. The problem is in the private sector, right, is coaching can't be collaborative if it's somebody within your immediate area because money's involved, right? You decide that, let's say, let's say, JM, you and I were five miles away. We decide to do a speed camp together, right? We get the, we get the people to register and everything like that. You capture the emails, you get their contact information, da 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 right? We do a speed camp. We got Valve sponsors in. We got the lasers. Everything goes well. But at the end of the speed camp, right, when we're talking to the kids and you're going to offer something, okay, both of us offer. So now what happens when, you know, 75% of the kids go to JM training and, you know, I don't get a lot of the kids, right, or vice versa. Then from the collaborative, it's not really collaborative, is it? Right? It's not collaborative at that point. So there was there was the conversation of like, you know, it makes it very difficult for coaching to be collaborative when there's a little bit of ego involved and when there's money involved, right? It could be different when, you know, we could be collaborative right now in, in doing something because we're your population isn't touching my population. My population isn't touching your population in Jersey and Tennessee. It's very different, right? And I think that's a hard conversation that people are, I don't want to say afraid to have, but it's the truth, right? You don't, you don't want anybody intruding on your territory. You don't want anybody, you, you look at somebody that comes into your territory that does the same thing that you do, you're going to look at them as competition whether you like it or not. Because when you got guys that are going to go train with so-and-so now, now the question becomes, okay, what are they doing that either is better than what I'm doing or that I'm not doing enough of? Or what, what do I need to change? It becomes an introspective thing that you start. And that's not a bad thing. That, that, that's the one thing that, that people need to understand. Not a bad thing that you look at other people and you see that they're doing something better than you. And you question, what are they doing that, you, that I could be doing better? That's not a bad thing. That's how you grow. However, it also looks shady if you decide to go work with them just to find out what they do, just to go take it back so that you can one-up them. Like that's the, sh that's the shady shit that you see in the private sector that's like corny as hell. Yeah. I guess I don't speak that experience and because I'm not in the private sector, man. You know, I've always been the high school, middle school guy. I've always that that's kind of where I, I lay my my foundation in, in high school and middle school um, training. But, you know, in this realm of high school and middle school as well, you know, we could be collaborating, you know, about a middle school program as well. And then, you know, we got all in Excel or google sheets it all looks nice and fancy and then you know turn around and say well i'm gonna sell this for 
however much money. It's like, well, we both worked on that, and then you're still... It's kind of the same situation as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, so... And this is one thing I was talking to one of my other boys um, about this. The funny thing with 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 the Northeast is like SNC is not as developed in the Northeast in in schools as it is like anywhere in the country. Right. There is there are not there are not paid SNC coaches on staffs in middle schools and high schools here. That's why. There's a lot more private sector facilities or private sector uh, business owners or training businesses in the area. Like I would argue that that trainer that especially from an athlete and a and a and an athletic development perspective, trainers is almost an oversaturated market in the New Jersey New York area and and even Connecticut the tri-state area. It's oversaturated because there's so many schools that don't have SNC coaches but have great athletes. Right. Like New York, New Jersey is kind of like basketball is kind of like a big th- uh, sport in this area, more so than I would argue more so than any other sports. That's why you get a lot of basketball players that are training with like private, private uh, trainers and whatnot, because their schools don't have it. Schools have the weight rooms and everything, but the schools don't have it. And the way that they do it in the area here is that the schools pay you as a coach. So how they do it is you have to be a sports coach. So in order for me to be basically the strength coach, I'd have to basically be an assistant football coach and then I can run the weight room, right? I'd have to be an assistant track coach for winter track, then I could run the weight room. I'd have to be an assistant spring track coach, then I could run the weight room, right? But they're still paying you as that sport coach, you know what I'm saying? So they're not paying, so they're only paying you the whatever, four to $5,000 at the end of the season for the three months that you've been doing it. Right. Whereas you and I both know this three to 5,000, not three to $5,000 in, in three months is like poverty. Right. You can make that in a month doing private sector shit. So um, that's where, you know, the private sector is very big up in, up in the Northeast. Whereas compared to down South, you know, you got more, um in school trainers so the point that i'm making is that's where you get a lot of strength coaches that um associate themselves with the schools they'll go in and they'll be like hey this is what i do um would you i'll sell you you know this program for your coaches to run right i'll i'll come in and train the guy the the guys or the girls for two days a week for x amount of money right um that's how it's kind of that's kind of how the business landscape kind of is for SNC up in this area um because truthfully bo- school boards aren't paying an SNC coach 60 70,000 just to come in to run a weight they're not doing it they're not going to make it a class right they're not going to make it a class um to make it accessible for everybody to do so they're not going to pay you as a teacher to run strength and conditioning classes not happening do you think there's also like a sense of pressure almost for y'all in the Northeast? Because, you know, if you got, uh, let's say in a little area, maybe a small town, maybe even a small city. Uh, I live in kind of a small city here. And, uh, you know, there's six, seven, eight different private facilities that offer strain training. And, and I hate to use this words, but sports specific training and everything like that, man. Do you think there's like a sense of pressure almost? 
No, because this is the one thing that I've learned in the years that I've been training is that kids see through your bullshit more than you think. Like the like the discernment that some of these kids I've I've had kids that I've been training since they were in seventh grade. Right. And some of the discernment that they have to read through some of the adults bullshit is the most impressive thing that I've seen from someone. Right. Like. The issue, the some of the problems that I see is that adults like adults try to treat kids like kids, but then put them in big people business sometimes. Right. And then when they get into big people business and then when they discern when you're the bullshitter, like then they're like, oh, well, how do you know this? Well, no, idiot. Like you decided to put them in this situation and you gave them a voice to speak and they called you out on your shit. So I say that to say there have been there have been athletes that have trained with me. They've gone to other places, maybe because their their school team has them has a contract with another gym or whatever the case may be. And they'll come back to me and be like, Jew, this ain't it. Right. That's not to talk that I'm not talking smack about the other trainers. This is the kids saying this. Right. And if they feel like if they feel like they're not getting the work in, then they look at it as I'm wasting my time and my money and my parents money. And that's the one thing like these kids are very. Um, they're very not, they're very understanding and they know in their head, they're like, if this is a waste of time, like, especially basketball players, basketball players already don't like the weight room, right? They already don't like the weight room. So if you're going to bring them in the weight room and you're going to waste their time from them actually getting better, then it's just a recipe for disaster all in all. And so I, 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 I humbly believe that like, there's no, I don't ever feel pressure because I truthfully believe in what I produce and the work that I've put in and the amount of money that I've put in to learn and to still continue to learn and to still put myself out there to even get more people to, to, to train and to learn from and whatnot, to put myself out there in different positions. I know the product that I produce. So I know I don't feel any pressure because the person, the minute that person walks through the door, they're not, they're not leaving. For any other reason, unless they relocate or um, basically relocating is the only reason, honestly, I'll be very honest with you like that. That that's where I, I don't feel pressure from. I got I got uh, it, like I said, it's so oversaturated. You, you could have, you know, eight different trainers within a three mile radius of you. Right. You have three different trainers in an eight mile radius. But it's. Are you producing results? Are you showing those results? This is where you use social media for the positive. Are you showing those results, right? And then are you showing those results tied to the kids, right? Because if the kids see the results, right? I, I really do my own marketing. My marketing comes from, my, from all the athletes that I train. Because all I do... As I as I go in, I use Vald. Vald makes it very easy for me to track all their sprint numbers, their jump numbers, everything like that. And I just do week. I I always do their sprints and their jumps every week, and I just post. I just post their 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 weekly numbers. And when I post their weekly numbers, the kids are the kids are reposting it. They're talking shit to each other. I jumped higher than you. I run faster than you. And that's the stuff that matters. Right. Let's let's go back to the whole strength and conditioning and performance aspect. It's the performance numbers that matter. 
I, what? Tell me this. More kids will ask you what's your 40 than what's your what's your bench. Right. Basketball players will ask you what's your vert more than what's your squat. So it's the performance numbers that matter. So if those are the things that matter, those are the things that are the main focus. And all the strength work is to improve the performance work, which in turn improves what they do on the field slash court. That's what it boils down to. So when I do that, when I post those numbers, those, those, th there's no pressure there because the kids know the work that they're getting. They're, they, they will say, they'll screenshot the numbers and then look the next week and be like, Jew, I improved by 0 0.001 on my 15-yard sprint. Yes, that is a lot. That 0 0.001 is better than the last week. That's one per, you could look at it, that's 1% better every day, 1% every, better every week. Right. And when they start seeing that, that creates the buy in that creates the culture that creates the revolving door of, hey, I don't I don't give a fuck what other trainer you're going to. This is who you got to go to if you want to actually see yourself get better. Right. Absolutely. Man. They start seeing that long term development because they then look back at, oh, let's look at what we did three months ago. Like, I, I, I promise you, I have four kids that screenshot every week when I post, the, um, when I post their, their sprint numbers and their jump numbers. I have four kids that will screenshot it every week. And to the point where if I don't post it, they'll text me and be like, yo, Jew, we didn't get the numbers this week. Are you good? Is everything okay? I'm like, damn, relax. Like, like they hold me accountable sometimes if I forget or I just don't post it. They'll be like, Joe, Jew, I ain't see your story. You ain't post the numbers, right? But they went back three months and they saw their time. I didn't even get to post the differences. They went back on their own initiative and saw that they went, one of them went down from like a one nine, like a one nine eight down to like a one seven on their sprints, right? They saw that. And they posted the side-by-side -side on their story. So you asked, you asked me, do I feel pressure with the, with the amount of, do I feel pressure with the amount of coaches that are in the area because it's saturated? Absolutely not. Because I believe in what I produce and I believe in, in, in the, in the product that I've been able to give to my kids and it shows like my work is, is a result of how they do. And it doesn't even matter about the numbers in the grand scheme of things. That what really matters is are they playing well and are they not hurt? That's the two that don't, if you can't, if you can't meet those two criteria as a strength coach, stop being a strength coach right now or stop being a sports performance coach right now. Those are the two things that matter. I don't care what they bench. I don't care what they squat. <coughs> excuse me. I don't care what they deadlift. If they're not playing better or they're still getting hurt, then you're fucking up somewhere. Yeah, man. And the, I go back to this quote of do no harm because that's where it kind of lies in. We are not supposed to be harming our athletes. We are not supposed to be harming their performance. 
whether that's in the weight room, whether that's on the court field, whatever, we're not supposed to be sitting here holding them back or, you know, causing things to hold them back in their own sport because that's what they want at the end of the day. They just want to play the damn sport. They they don't want, they don't care. Well, I, I shouldn't say they don't care. They care less about their weight room numbers and, you know, maybe verts and speeds compared to what they're doing on the court, the field, whatever because that's what they want to do at the end of the day they don't want to sit at a hospital bed telling you know mom and dad doctor tell mom and dad that they're gonna have to their boy is gonna have to go through acl surgery he's gonna have to miss a season and then we have this doctor visit and then uh they had to pay for the doctor visit and then got paid for the surgery and then they have to go through rehab and uh physical therapy if if they can afford it and that's a big if and I mean, it, it's just a big revolving door, but I think a lot of it could be prevented for a couple of ways. One, having a qualified and uh, just a qualified individual to actually run a sport performance. I'm not going to say a strength program anymore, just a performance program altogether, a sport performance program. Having someone that, that actually knows what they're doing and has experience doing it and has the results to show it. And the other side of it is having this long-term athletic development from when they're, I'm not going to say real young, right? Maybe fifth, sixth, you know, fifth, sixth grade, sixth grade up until they're a senior. And if they want to go to college to play collegiate sports, you know, that's on them. That That's a family, that's a person and family decision, you know, for them to do. But on, on the side of sport performance, you know, we're teaching them. I, I, I view co I view strength coaches as teachers. And I, I said it before, I view the weight room, the field court as a classroom. You're teaching things. You're teaching how to move properly, how to take care of your bodies. Not just when you're playing a sport, but when you get done playing the sport as well. How are, are you going to take care of your bodies? Do you know how to do certain basic movements? that allows you to live a long, healthy life, man. Uh, you brought up a very good point in, in terms of long-term athletic development, because I think this is a very big thing that I see with, uh, I actually had to even combat this with my own programming, right? It's the idea that, so I've, I've been training middle schoolers for the last three years. No, I lied. Five years, five years, five years been training middle schoolers for the last five years and the middle schoolers that I had I had I had I, I, I'll give you a story I had two seventh graders right I wasn't on the middle school program at the time and I had two seventh graders that came in to do an assessment with one of my coworkers, and my my coworker was trying to tell me yo put them in the high school program and I said absolutely not I was like, absolutely. I was like, they're in seventh grade. One of them is like four foot nothing. And the other one weighs like a buck 20 wet. I was like, no way. He goes, dog, they're good. He's like, trust me on this. I'm like, yo, you're, you're really trying to get me to do something I don't want to do. He's like, trust me. He's like, give them, give them a week, right? I took them for a week. Per body weight, both of them, were stronger than 90% of my high school program. Body weight. Like, I had them do dumbbell bench. Like, the, the four-foot-nothing kid who weighed, like, 80 pounds 
was like throwing up the 50s like it was nothing, right? He was goblet squatting. I mean, at my last place, I had up to 160-pound uh, dumbbells. He was goblet squatting the 150s, no problem. And I'm talking like impeccable form, right? First year, we just strictly did like dumbbell work and whatnot. I like really slow cooked them. Second year, I started introducing the barbell. So their eighth grade year, we started introducing the barbell. Now, not only did I start them right before puberty, they started hitting puberty. Like the next year that he had came back after his football season, he shot up from like 4'11 to like 5'5. Five, five, five. No, he was told in that, maybe like 5'7. He like shot up in like a year. Like, okay. And he's filling out now. By his freshman year, when we were training, we were already doing hang cleans, right? He is a sophomore now, and literally, he's one the him and a couple other guys that go to school together with them that I took in after them. There's a core group of like five of them that I've been training for three years now. That like I'm almost training them as if they're college athletes now, because I've been able to lay the foundation for the first two years to get them to where I want to be. And they also believed and trusted the process and trusted me to get them with ever, without ever asking, like, can we do this? Can we do that? Now, there were a the couple of times where I've had to do one rep maxes just for the fun of it, just so that, you know, they wanted to have some fun. I was like, you know what? Screw it. We'll do it this week. I had it planned, but we did it. But I say that to say, we oftentimes rush movement and motor patterns and exercises because we're trying to, again, push a square peg in a round hole too often, right? As opposed to let's take the time to really hone in on these movements. There's nothing wrong with taking nine weeks to do goblet squats. There's nothing wrong with taking nine, 12 weeks to do. You have, like, if you look at it from take, I take it from when a kid goes from middle, when I, if I got a kid in middle school, which is sixth grade, to the day that they leave high school, that is seven years that I have. So how am I going to plan seven years of work to ensure that if they do decide to play at the next level, they have every tool needed to ensure that they are prepared to go play at the next level. And to your point earlier, even if they don't decide to go to play the next level, do they have every tool possible to ensure that they have the, the, the capacity to still maintain long-term health as a human being? Do they, do they know how to row, press, lunge, carry, um, squat, and hinge? Do they know how to do what I call basically the six fundamental human human movement patterns? Do they know how to do those? And can they figure out how to build a work, maybe even build their own workout at the end of their senior year, just knowing those six things? If they know how to do that after, after walking through my doors and working with me for anything longer than a year to two years, then I've done my job. My job's not done, but I've done my job in educating them as athletes. And that's what they need. They need people to educate them. You know, outside of 
the classroom. You know, it's great to learn science, math, and social studies and English, but at the, some point, and I, I said this with my dad before, because we, we talked about this before, because he's starting to get a little bit more into health and fitness for himself. He's getting, you know, he, I believe he's like 53, about to be, you know, going into the 60s. You know, it's not like that, man. Like, he's yeah. got to take care of himself. But I, I, I've made a point to him, so at some point in every person's life, you are going to need to know how to take care of yourself physically. Yes. It, it does not matter if you're playing a sport, if you were the kid that played video games all the way through high school, it does not matter. At some point, you are going to need physical fitness. You're. It's going. It's. 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 Um. What's that quote? It's in, in, inevitable from Thanos. Right. Inevitable. Yeah. It's inevitable. Right. It's going to happen because you got to lower your blood sugar. You got to put on some muscle mass. You're going to have to decrease your body fat mass, or you. You know. You got to have a little bit more. Um. You know. Maybe you have to do some zone two work to keep your heart in check and more cardiovascular health man at some given point it's going to happen you are going to need physical fitness so why not teach these athletes now i'll even say even in a physical education program and schools why not yeah. and that's where we need qualified individuals to teach them these things so when they leave high school they know how to take care of themselves absolutely and you know shout out to missy and tim for the zone two the zone two cartel that they got going on over there. Don't worry. I'm a, I'm a join the cartel. I'm a join cohort 6.0. Don't worry. I'm gonna do it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's also too, like, I can speak from the gym pop perspective. Like there's a lot of like the world is not as healthy as everybody believes that it is right. The world is not as healthy as they believe that it is. Um, I have been fortunate to come from a athletic family, like even just the idea of going out to walk. Like I go out to walk with my mom for 30 minutes every morning for the most part. Right. Like that alone, you know, is, is, is a game changer, you know, for some people. Right. Um, I, I was educated on foods at a very young age. I told you I was in the gym since I was eight years old because my brother's 15 years older than me. He had me in the gym at eight years old when he was 23. So I lived and breathed sports in the gym for a very long time. But um, a good friend of mine made it clear to me that, like, that's not the case for majority of America and the world. Like, no, not a lot of people get that, right? Not there's... There's people who like they're not fortunate to even have the education to understand what's healthy and what's not for them. You know what I'm saying? So it's like. That's where schools, I think, are missing the boat a lot more now, especially as I continue to hear that you're we're cutting down on a recess time um, and, and things like that, like we're we're going backwards and that's an entirely separate tangent. We are going backwards from a health perspective as to where fitness and and long long-term um long-term overall health for for human beings go. Yeah, and you know we talk about physical education programs almost being cut, but I don't want to see physical education as well we're just going to roll out the dodgeballs and play. Right, that that's teaching them. Well, yeah, I love games. I love games for kids. Let let's not get that twisted. I love games for kids. 
because Absolutely. they get a little bit of competition in them. You know, they're free roaming and sports are free roaming. You know, they're in the open environment. I love it. However, if that's the only thing that you're doing, that's the also another issue for physical education. We can make a totally different episode on how we should structure physical education classes to or in a curriculum, man. But yeah, yeah. Because you're not, because you're not, because there has to be some classroom instruction to a certain extent. There has to be. Like, health, like, yeah, that's an entirely separate discussion. So, that's an entirely separate discussion. Yeah, man. I, we, could, we could be on there for two or three hours talking about how to build a oh, yeah. health curriculum, but I think that's a great um, point to wrap up, and we can kind of go to this last segment. We'll We'll make our last remarks here, man, and then uh, I won't hold you too much longer. Absolutely. Uh, last thing we have here, and I've done it since the beginning of this podcast, it's a coach's spotlight. So do you have anyone out there that you want to shout out uh, that's that you think is making the difference in the strength and conditioning health uh, profession? All right. So, um, so a couple of people have saw this. A couple, uh, I think it was a couple months ago, but John Davis, right? So JD, um, I literally met JD on Twitter last year because I decided to finally go on Twitter and start, you know, posting my my workouts and posting my views and everything like that. And I kind of take a little bit of the cure approach to like not giving a fuck as to what I say or who I upset or whatnot. And I would just talk shit because I'm from Jersey. That's what we do. And John and I connected and, you know, we we would talk shop. We would talk business. We would talk as two private sector um, training business owners. Um, we had a lot in common. Um, that evolved into he's been programming me. Um, I stopped doing my own programming. Oh, I'd say almost eight months ago. Like I just stopped programming because. You know, you get into program fatigue, like you're programming for everybody else. And then to Missy and Tim's point is like we have a very unhealthy field, which, again, we could talk about that on a separate note. We have a very unhealthy field because, you know, everybody cares about strength and little conditioning. So I needed somebody else to do it for me. Um, and JD stepped up to the plate to help me with that. Um, fast forward, he surprised and came to visit me in Jersey. Um, in april or may or whenever it was um and we've been we've been boys ever since right um he's my business mentor he's my fitness mentor um he's one of my good friends um and he's a very knowledgeable man when it comes to everything from training athletes training gen pop running an online training business um nutrition like like you name it and he's one of the like low-key guys that you wouldn't really know that because like you know social media is a very big deceiver right like he's not somebody that has like ten thousand followers and everything under the sun but like let me tell you something you want to talk about people in the private sector that's like making a difference and getting the money while making a difference john davis yeah, man, I think he followed me. I followed him for a little bit. He followed me back not too long ago, and he's jacked, man. <laughs> that boy's not that, that boy's he's jacked. Not that, he's not that big. 
don't do not know. We're not doing that. I will put this on the podcast. He is not that big. He's not that jack. Well, I'll I'll see for myself at some given point. <laughs> I'm sure I'll meet him at some given point. But um, yeah, man, I, he's definitely one of those I can tell is in the field for good intentions, and you know he's making a difference where he's at and what he's doing online and even in person, man. He, he seems like an awesome dude to be around. He is. He is. Well, Drew, uh, I want to thank you again for being on the Conjuga Chats and having some pretty great conversations about, you know, various topics, how to filter your information. It's a little bit of long-term athletic development talk and, you know, just some health, man. It's it's awesome uh, to talk with you again. And, uh, you know, if you ever want to come back on, you just let me know. See me on season four. <laughs> Go for it, man. And that's another episode of the Conjuga Chats. Please follow our social medias at Conjuga Chat Podcast on Twitter and TikTok. Also, follow Juju on his social medias as well. In the name of strength, stay strong and have a day. And before we end this episode here, I wanted to bring the light to something. Um, most people on here are either strength coaches or aspiring strength coaches. Um, for those that are aspiring strength coaches out there, um, I set up a Gumroad account, a uh, store even, to provide value back into the field of strength conditioning. Starting with, um, I have study guides on there uh, for anyone that's not past the CSCS or is going to take the CSCS. Um, these are study guides that I've developed over the last three years that I've used in my attempts to pass the CSCS and I wanted to bring that value here to our podcast. So if you will go to the link in the description of this episode, you'll see a link to my Gumroad in which you can purchase or just download for free um, the study guides for CSCS, a couple of my guides for in uh, in season training, and also um, a couple of our products in there as well. Again, thank you for listening in on the Conjuga Chats, and thank you for your continuous support.